This is a podcast from The Red House, the former home of Benjamin Britten and Peter Piers. I'm Lucy Walker. Join me, colleagues and other guests for a monthly chat about all things Britain and Piers, plus music, culture, heritage in general and anything else that might come up. Hello and welcome to the second podcast from The Red House. My name's Lucy Walker and I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Boyce, who is the Chair of Trustees for the LGBT History Month. It is LGBT History Month. LGBT Plus History Month. We've added the plus this year for the first time to be more inclusive. (laughs) (laughs) LGBT Plus History Month, uh, which takes place in February every Every year. year. Um, And Steve has been a great friend of this organisation for a number of years. Back in 2014, Britain was one of your faces when you were Correct. looking at music that year yes um and so we got we got very involved then and since then we've had study days and all kinds of other events that steve has participated in and then 2017 we had a big exhibition that you really kindly advised us on all sorts of aspects of it it was the 15th anniversary of the partial decriminalization of homosexuality that year um, so we had an exhibition called queer talk which looked at all matters relating to that and the relationship, more particularly, between Britain and peers within the context of that social background and mm. the changes and the drawbacks and the setbacks, <laughs> rather, and all the sort of... Um, the, so the progress of, of social change throughout the 20th century. Uh, so I'm going to stop talking now after that rather uh, gabbly introduction. So, Steve, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'd really like to hear more about, I think, what your organisation does so what does lgbt plus history month aim to do right well what we aim to do is we're a group of ex-teachers or teachers and we're just trying to what we call usualize lgbt plus lives um we're not trying to make a big thing of it we're trying to usualize it so that it becomes quite common for teachers for librarians for musicians to talk about people who are lgbt plus you know let's not make a secret of it i i i was at school in in the 60s, and I remember doing Noise Flood, you know, but we were never told that Benjamin Britten, the composer, mm. was gay. That's, we just needed a statement as 10 year olds, you're starting to develop in a world, you're starting, but that was all hidden from us, you know. And, and what we try to do is unhide what history has discreetly hidden so as not to scare the horses. <laughs> I think that's the politest way of putting it. <laughs> Um, so how long, when did, you, when did it start? We started, this is our, no, I've got to get this right, I can't remember if this is our 15th, 16th or 17th year, okay. but a while ago, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 2004. And you look at a, is it a cu- curriculum area? or an area? Every year every we area. have an area of the curriculum, so yeah. that's why we picked up on uh, Britain in 2014. And we, we choose an area curriculum and we choose faces for each year. So we try and have a lesbian face, a bisexual face, a gay face. And a trans face each year. So um, this year we're doing poetry, prose and plays. Mm. We've got some wonderful faces this year. Um, and so we've got Ian Forster in there uh, as the gay man. Fantastic year to celebrate Ian Forster, mm. of course, this year. And we've got, um, let's think, who else? Shakespeare is bi- our bisexual. Because he wrote sonnets mm-hmm. for men, mm-hmm. two men, as well as two women. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those things need to be explored. Mm. I, I think fifth, or what used to be fifth formers, year 11 and 12 <laughs> and 13s now, are old enough to understand those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. No, very much so. We, we have a lot of school groups come through the doors here. I mean, and increasingly, one of my colleagues uh, does great work with bringing children. And they're often, 
uh, so younger than that, uh, so year sevens we have, mm -hmm. uh, particularly coming through. Um, and they are just told, you know, Britain appears, they were a couple, they lived here. And, and for the most part, they just go, all right, yeah. Whatever. Young people. This, this is the thing. Socially, yeah. young people are very much more adept yeah. and are very more happy to talk about mm -hmm. LGBT plus lives and their own sexuality and their own gender mm -hmm. and the gender fluidity, etc, etc. That's why we've added the plus now. Yes. Um, then we were in the 60s and 70s and... The, the you know the Britain and peers were in the 50s you know because we, we've moved so far in that 70 years yes socially it's unbelievable you know we have police officers now celebrating with us LGBT pride I remember just back in the 70s when we had the first prides in the good old black and white days you know we used to chant and, and tease the police because they were gardeners because we had bricks and things thrown at us yeah because it was you know, almost an unlawful assembly, although it wasn't an unlawful assembly. Uh, but uh, yeah, the public were very much against. But nowadays, with Michael Cashman on, you know, mm. television and all sorts of things, Derek Jarman, the Naked Civil Servant. That was, I remember that was the first ever television show I saw, or television series or program I saw with actually a gay man represented mm. in it. You know, so those are groundbreaking things, and and I think. Britain and peers were groundbreaking in their own quiet little way. Mm -hmm. They were very lucky <clears throat> to have gone through the 50s with very little sort of history of friction uh, with the law enforcement agencies because the law enforcement agencies were quite vindictive towards gay men in the 50s. Mm -hmm. They really were. Yeah. Yes, I mean, curiously... Um you'd think that living in the countryside, which is generally seen as much more conservative than a metropolitan centre, but actually they were quite protected um, here because they had such a social role. And I remember hearing a really terrific talk at one of these um, queer history conferences uh, about the fact that actually in, if you had a social role in a small community people cared a lot less about what you got up to behind closed doors. Um, so there, there was a story someone told about that there was a bank manager who was also part of the, the football team or something, and then they were changing, and he was wearing women's underwear. And I'm like, oh, but he's the bank manager. We need a bank manager. So, <laughs> so actually, we don't mention it. Yes, So it was actually in a, in a metropolitan centre, if you're gay, you tend to... It was more ghettoised. It you was to, very much a ghettoisation. Easily to spot and then more easily to, to punish in some way. So I think... I was wondered if that applied here in some way. I, I, think, I think, you know, I go back to my original phrase of not scaring the horses. <laughs> I, I think they lived openly as a, a gay couple, but in a very subtle way. I think our younger generation are very much better at it. I think that's absolutely true. Um, and ideally then, of course, the fact that the younger generation is more comfortable and doesn't, it's not such an issue, that will eventually affect larger scale social change. As absolutely. Though, even though there seem to be still setbacks and still people are very vulnerable and, and still there are horrid attacks and things. So it, it's a kind oh, of two steps forward. I don't, yes, I, you know, this is, this is, I think, the important thing about history. It's not mm. a one-way street. Mm -hmm. It can go both ways. So at the moment we're seeing a bit of a lash back at the LGBT community, which is a shame to see. So we've got to encourage young people to learn about history yes. and to learn that these rights and these freedoms we have have been hard won, yes. uh, but they've got to be preserved as well. 
they aren't just in law and that's it forever and ever. We've got to pedal very fast to keep up. And, and there are still things we need to do. Pension reform still needs to happen, etc., etc. You know, th- there's lots of different things that we, we need to keep fighting and yeah. forging forward for. Absolutely. But it's, it's um, I just, just wanted to mention a very heartwarming thing I heard on the radio the other day in an area they wouldn't normally expect or haven't historically expected um, it to be particularly progressive, which is uh, uh, rugby league. Yes. <laughs> I was listening to, uh, I think it was the owner, perhaps the chair of Wigan Rugby League team, and they had, had um, they were talking about a rugby player who's, who's uh, Australian rugby player who's made some unfortunate, very homophobic remarks. Yes. Remarks. And they're and holding, they, a, they're holding a, a rainbow rugby exactly, match. Exactly. Exactly. Twenty second of March. I know, I just thought that was, a, and he was very, just the same way, so we, we thought for 10 seconds about having that player, but actually no, because his views are unacceptable to us, and when they're playing in the team he's in, they're making it a pride day, and yes. it's just like, it's kind of blown away. Fantastic, and I hope hundreds and thousands of LGBT people go to that match, yeah. and watch that match, and, and, and just show this homophobe that mm-hmm. it's not acceptable. Yes, that, You know, that... Uh, and that's the thing we're trying to educate out prejudice because prejudice is educated into young people yeah. for a very young age. Yeah. Um, and then we come to a couple like Britain and Peers. You know, it, it's lovely. They're, they're letters to one another. They're full of endearments mm-hmm. and, and, and lovely words to one another. And they were very much in love. And it's lovely to be talking on Valentine's Day about love <laughs> because they truly were a romantic couple. Yeah. And there were couples like that all over the country. That's true. Yes, actually, you were just telling me before we started about this beautiful. Um, well, partly you've got they've got the Britain Peers letters in front of you, um, which we can we can hear some quotes from. But this lovely couple who lived in Wales in around the same time. Yes, um, this is uh, Reg and George, and Mike Parker's written a brilliant book on the Red Hill. He inherited a house from this marvelous couple, and. When he inherited the house, he inherited all their photographs and diaries. And they were living through the 50s, just after the war, 50s, 60s and 70s. And he found all their photographs and all their diaries. And they were very much a rural, private couple. But they were living as a couple, just like um, Benjamin and Peter. They had their separate bedrooms. But they obviously visited one another across the land and things like that. But... It, 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 it's lovely. The pictures are very, very similar. And, and, and I see them and think, wow, this is what life for LGBT, or mainly gay men, in, in the 50s was about. Yeah. It, it was that living together but not shocking the world too much. Remember, we had the 1940s, the war years, 30s, late 30s, early 40s, and a lot of men congregated together, were in close confines, very uh, very much a male society. And women came to the fore as well and held their own in industry and in jobs and things like that. So the world was never the same after the war. But it's almost as if Britain regressed in the 50s and we had a very vehement state trying to stamp down upon gay men, especially. Because, of course, lesbians didn't exist. <laughs> no, that's curious, isn't it? That that was never... Well, it was, o- it was only in 1956, I think it was, that it became a, a sexual offence. Um, sexual assault against women on women became an offence. So I'm just trying to see what year that was. I think that was Sexual Offences Act 1956. The crime of sexual assault between women became mm-hmm. into law. Mm-hmm. So 
there was obviously <laughs> some yeah. problems that yeah. caused these laws to be evoked. But, you know, we had Gilgood, we had Turing, mm. we had Montague mm. and Wildblood and... Um, Pitt Rivers, yeah. Pitt Rivers, yeah. all arrested mm. and, and, you know, Turing chemically castrated. Mm. Um, it, it, it's okay. horrendous. Over a thousand men every year in the 50s were put into prison for being gay. Those statistics are really... Frightening. Frightening and, yeah, the, the, that was... And then eventually became behind the, the Wolfenden report, which was urging for reform, that did have, that was on a wave of actually of public support, surprisingly, because I remember we were looking into this around the exhibition, yes. that people were um, in favour of social change, and the, the government was actually taking a long time to catch up with that. And, it, it, and well, Wolfenden 57, be, and it wasn't until yeah. 67 yeah. that the laws were changing. It took and 10 years. And a lot years. of the reports out of that was like, come on, get a move on. We've, we've, we've agreed that this should not be a criminal offence. Consenting <laughs> <laughs> health in private. Why are you taking 10 years to, to make yeah. this and try and do yeah. law? And all sorts of, all sorts of, you know, objections and backlashes. Yeah. And, and remember, the Wolfden report wasn't just about homosexuals. Mm-hmm. It was also about prostitution as Indeed. well. Cleaning yeah. up the streets of London, especially yeah. around King's Cross. <laughs> yes. No, that's right. Yes, we, um, uh, you, you participated in this. In 2017, we had a, uh, a complete reading of the Wolfden report, actually just, just the, uh, the section on, on homosexuality, because we would have been there till the next morning. <laughs> Uh, but as it was, it took about six hours to, to read through. We did it in a kind of relay That's right, uh, version, sort of pinched the idea from a big reading that I think was the Chilcot Report in Edinburgh Festival the year or two before. Um, and so everyone took 10, 15 minutes. Yes. Um, and it included all those statistics and it included all these kind of... But also embedded within it, even though they were really trying to be very objective and completely neutral, it was still full of that. Well, obviously one might object to this on yes. moral grounds yes. or because one is a Christian. We can, talk, we can talk about this, but there are other people that won't be able to talk about yes, this. And, right. uh, we, we're not shocked by this, but there will be people <laughs> who are shocked by this. Yes. You know, it, it was very much of that tone, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yes. And it didn't even refer to the to homosexual and prostitutes by some euphemism so the typists wouldn't kind of have the vapor writing yes. all up. I wish I could remember it's, what they were. It's, it's just a kind of biscuit or something. Yeah. It was very bizarre. nice, wasn't it? Yeah. Hunting Palmers. <laughs> That's it. That's right. it, was, it was all Hunting Palmers. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but it, it does it's not that long ago and that's yeah. the really it's in, well it's in my bit. lifetime. I, yeah. you know I was born in the fifties. Yes. Uh, it's remarkable to see how the world has moved on, you know, yes. through the 50s and the persecution of gay men and, yeah. and, and then others. Um, 60s, late 60s, we had the sort of awakening, the sexual revolution, Lady Chatterley's lover, mm-hmm. the, the whole court case. Mm-hmm. Remember, Ian Forster didn't publish no. Maurice until 71, until after oh, his death. Yeah. But, you know, he wrote that book and said, this must not be published until after I have died. Yeah. You know, how repressive... Did he feel the Lord Chamberlain's office and and and, and the law was yeah, yeah. on uh, that he's and this is what LGBT plus people do they self police a lot and I think Britain and Piers did exactly the same they self policed repression but at the same time and I think the the um, we've done quite a lot of this in terms of the the, the compositions that that Britain wrote nonetheless look they were telling the truth. About their relationship in the way that only way that they could. But looking back, you think, why 
why did nobody just hang, hang on a minute? This yes. isn't all male opera about a beautiful man, <laughs> yes. a love triangle. Hmm. Mm. But uh, nobody really said anything. No. This, this no. canticle one, my beloved, my best beloved is mine, and I am his. Yes. Hello, you know, yes. written on the piano, Piers singing, and, and, and it's beautiful because he wrote it for Piers. Yeah, absolutely. This is my best beloved. Yeah. And, and it seems so obvious. Yes, but actually, in 1947, when it was premiered, well, it wouldn't be mentioned. It would yeah. just be, you know, what a lovely song. Maybe yes, <laughs> maybe a little fluttering of the program. <laughs> If one felt a slight redness coming on, that would be it. That would yeah. be it. Extraordinary. Yes. And again, it's that codification that we are gay, but we're not completely yes. out there in your face. We're not rioting. We're not um, dressing in outrageous outfits like the young people do nowadays. And I think that's fantastic that they feel that freedom. Yeah. But there were still symbols, you know, the old Oscar Wilde and the green carnation, yes. the white socks, the different handkerchiefs, different things to show, you know, mm-hmm. that to, to signify to others that you were the same as them, but slightly different. Yes, absolutely. And, they, and behind the scenes, and I think that's why the Britain Appears letters are so touching, that they, because I remember we, we had, a, again, in this exhibition, we had, a, had a, some footage of them performing, so Britain conducting, yes. Piers singing, and then shaking hands at the end, terribly formal. Mm-hmm. And next to it, we had a very list of all these lovey-dovey endearments that they would But you could see in their photographs, when they look at one another, when Britain was at the piano and Piers mm-hmm. was singing, the looks between them are obviously mm-hmm. men in love. Mm-hmm. You know, there is that, okay, they're concentrating, they're focusing yeah. on each other, you could say it's a bit of show business here. But yeah. in fact, it wasn't. They, they were a couple. They were definitely. And I think that Britain was more circumspect, often in photographs, but there are a few, and we use them a lot because we love them. <laughs> they've got their arms linked, heads towards each other. And you yeah. Know, oh, like, yeah. Some of the pictures, are, I'm just trying to flick through my so book for them a bit further back, but there are some gorgeous pictures of them. Uh, and they were definitely a, a, a loving, loving couple. Couples living together. Yeah. And, and that's, that brings me back to the usualisation of gay lives. Yes. You know, people say, oh, well, you want to bring this into the classroom, you want to teach children about it. No, we don't want to teach people about what goes on in our bedrooms and <laughs> things like that. It's about usualising our lives, saying, we're gay men, we exist. Because that's what I wanted to ask you in a way, because is, is the, if there is an aim as such, um, to make it so that nobody cares whether someone's... LGBT plus or whatever, or is it actually the identity of being LGBT plus <coughs> still going to remain important? I think, I, think, I think we're at a transitional phase mm. um, in terms of LGBT plus mm. lives. Um, I would love it to be that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. an iota. But when we see young people in Russia, in Eastern Bloc, mm. having to fight for their lives, yes, people being put to death, because they're LGBT or plus. Um, fathers having to beat their sons or kill their sons for honour killings. Um, it's a sad, sad world. And so we do need to celebrate and continue to celebrate and, I suppose, protest and have prides and marches and things. Mm-hmm. One day, we won't have to. That will be great. Mm-hmm. But as the world exists at the moment, it's not, it's not a safe place for all people yeah. of all, whether it be religion, whether it be creed, whether it be age, whether it be sexuality, yeah. you know. Um, we're it, not there yet. We're not there yet. No, no indeed. And, and it's the same for, for 
women's rights as well. People say, oh, surely feminism is one and everything's fine. I think, well, no, you'd have to look very far yeah. to, to understand that. And that, that's, that's what I think is very interesting. I think that's why the equality strands are coming together more and more. Uh, women's rights, uh, black workers' rights, uh, LGBT rights, disabled persons' rights. Um, there is still, to some people, a hierarchy of oppression. I can oppress you because I am religiously right or something like that. Yes. Um, but it's not right. No. And, and um, we are all equal. We're all created equal and we should all just get on with one another and love one another. It's Valentine's Day. Let's share the love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, fantastic. That was such a nice way to end it. But what I did last time was just talk about what music... Uh, you happen to have been listening to lately. Oh. <laughs> if you have. I don't know if you're particularly a music person. Classical but music. Doesn't have to be. Yeah, yesterday I was singing along to um, George Ezra, Shotgun. I love things like that as well, the kookiness of that. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll put um, Shotgun on our, because we're creating a, a, a playlist <laughs> for this podcast, so that will go on there. Um, I don't yes. know why I like that one. It's just fun. It's, it's just, just kooky and fun. I, I think musical taste is, is very personal and it uh, and mine mine is a sim- is similarly eclectic. But I will actually as it happens and I listen to a lot of Britain obviously for my Yes, job, you have to for work. Um, and I was listening to uh, Seven Sonnets of Michelangelo, which was the <gasps> first piece that Britain yes. wrote for Piers. And it's unbelievably romantic and it's full of all sorts of uh, it's romantic but it's also about a relationship so it's actually full of kind of quite stroppy songs as well and they cross with each other because of course it's not just a complete well, let's remember love is, not, love is not an easy exactly. course is it it has bridges it has yes. underpasses it has <laughs> rivers to cross yes. and, and difficulties difficulties and yes and yes yes but the but number 30 uh, sonnet 30 is is the most beautiful uh, oh, vocal so? line as the third song in the cycle and it um yeah it's, it's just a kind of exquisite union of, of voice and piano and they, they kind of have arching melodies that sort of intertwine and, and the whole way the song is structured um and i've been listening obviously Piers' recording of that is particularly stunning but i have been listening to alan clayton's recording of that because he's done a short film for us for our exhibition fantastic um, yeah. so i've been listening to that but i have also been listening to joan Baez's beautiful song diamonds and rust and it just just is running in a loop through my head mm-hmm. at the moment i just came across it recently and it's about her um it's about bob dylan in fact yes. it's about their relationship and it's it's melancholy and stunning and and a great song and i think great songs can be in all sorts of genres and are yes they are absolutely mm-hmm. and again i would say if you are a songwriter, a creator of music, be proud that you're LGBT+. plus. Don't worry about it. Mm. These days, it's not going to affect your record sales. It's just, just actually, I meant to mention this anyway, just speaking of people who, are, who have difficulty coming out or feel they can't, the whole Philip Schofield story just breaking last week. Yes. And that was very interesting... Not so much for the fact of it, but for the for the reaction. Well, yes, that was easy because you know <clears throat> I think some people would say, "What's all the big fuss about?" He's in showbiz. Mm. It'd be quite easy for him to come out, mm-hmm. but 
I think it was the reaction to his coming out. Mm. And I think people are starting to see that this man was a married man for 27 years. They're starting to talk about the hurt, the lies he created for his wife. And I think he recognises that as well. And we're actually able to talk more about mental health, about our own mental health, about other LGBT plus people's mental mm. health, and also about straight people's mental health who we interact with. Mm -hmm. Because if we interact with people and they have to keep the secret with us, they're almost composite in that mm. crime yes, of yes, hiding. Yes. Whereas if they're out with us and, yes. and celebrating with us, whether they're LGBT plus themselves or an ally, yeah. I think the word ally is a great thing. LGBT people have always had allies, you know. And I know the housekeeper here was an ally to these two. She kept their this secrets. Has... Yes, she would not wash their dirty linen in public. That's true. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that, that probably would have been, I guess... It was interesting, though, because she might not have been um, a discreet lady who, who just enjoyed working for them and... and uh, and who they were very good to. They oh, they gave they her a little bungalow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's it. They, they had a lot of, of straight friends. Yes. And the people they holidayed with tended to be either women or straight couples. Yes. Um, generally speaking, that was, they, they enjoyed that and the family atmosphere that that created um, with them. And had a lot of, particularly Britain, had a lot of close female friends. Yes. And lots of kids around and lots of fun yeah. times. Yeah. And that's what we say as mm. teachers, you know, just because we're LGBT or plus doesn't mean that we can't have family and friends and straight friends and things, you know. So it, it's, it's, it, the world is a lot more complicated these days. Well, it is, and rightly so, and <clears throat> being aware of that, because I think sometimes here, because sometimes you, you, you get the impression that you have no entitlement to comment on something if you're not experiencing it yourself, which seems to me... That, that means you're suggesting people lack imagination of all, of all yes. kinds because because working here you know myself as a as a straight woman and a lot of us are telling Britain of her story that we sometimes say are we allowed to tell this yeah, story absolutely because yeah, yeah it, it, it's perfectly valid mm -hmm. to be an ally as a straight person mm -hmm. of LGBT people that's what we want we yeah. need beautiful <laughs>